0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the Connect form, and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. I don't know what your experience has been, but sometimes growing up, our families or others can give us nicknames. How many of you had a nickname growing up? Yeah, several of you. Well, I hate to admit it, but my nickname when I was young was Junior. <laughs> and I have no idea why my family came up with Junior because my my name is not the exact same as my father's name, so technically I was not a, a junior, but that's who I became. Thankfully, I outgrew that nickname, and I hope some of you outgrew your embarrassing nicknames as well. Well, the author of the New Testament book that we have been studying for the last 14 weeks had a nickname, but it was not an embarrassing nickname. James, the brother of Jesus, was known as Camel Knees. Camel Knees. And it said it was because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer, that they were gnarled and calloused like the knees of a camel. And already in the portions of his letter to those early Jewish Christ followers, we've heard him speak about prayer. Uh, James chapter one, verse five, he said this to us. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And then in chapter 4, verse 2, he said this about our prayers sometimes. He said, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. But James dives deeper into the subject of prayer Later in his letter, in chapter 5, verses 13 through 18, and today we're going to look at the the major portion of that passage. We're going to cover verses 13 through the middle of verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, open them to the book of James if you've not done so already. And uh, if you don't have them, uh, that's okay. We'll provide all the verses from the New Living Translation from which... I teach. It's a passage about prayer and healing. And along with the scripture this morning, you're going to hear a couple of stories about prayer and healing. So let's begin the passage, James chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. James said, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Now here in this one verse, James covers the whole spectrum of human experience, does he not? And those early believers in the first century were encountering uh, hardships to celebration and everything in between. And in the 21st century, so are we. It is the nature of life in this fallen world. Uh, But James then, beginning in verse 14, expands on the first of those statements. Here's what he says. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now let's take that apart a little bit to find its true meaning. First of all, he says, call for the elders of the church, the spiritual leaders of the church. In our structure here at Magnolias First, that would be the pastors and the deacons of our church, that if you are sick, you're to call on one of those leaders to come and to pray over you and to anoint you. Uh, And and that happens on a regular basis in our church. We are sometimes called upon to go to the one who is sick, but many times uh, those who are sick will come either here to the front during invitation time, and I've anointed hundreds of people through the years, or they'll come to the hospitality room and we'll anoint them and pray over them there. But however it takes place, this is what James says you are to do if you are sick. And James here, I want to make this clear, James here is not saying that you should abstain from or minimize medical treatment. That's not his point. In fact, oil in New Testament times was synonymous with medical treatment. Uh, You remember the story of the Good Samaritan where the injured man was helped by the the Samaritan on the side of the road and it said that he took him and he, he... had oil put upon him because oil was just a part of the, they didn't have all the modern medicines at our disposal today, and oil was a major part of medical treatment. So James is not saying don't seek medical treatment. So what's the purpose, what's the meaning of the anointing with oil? Well, there's differing interpretations. Uh, among Bible scholars, but uh, at least to me, I find usually the most simple is the most accurate. And I think the, the anointing with oil is, is a symbolic statement of faith in God's healing power. Call upon the spiritual leaders of the church to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now what does that mean? Well, two things, I think, primarily are the meaning of that statement, in the name of the Lord. First of all, the healing is done not in, in the way that uh, involves any power or special uh, spiritual privilege of the one who does the anointing, but it's in the power of Jesus Christ. It's under the authority of Jesus Christ. You're anointing in the name of the Lord. And so I'll just tell you, I don't have a lot of credibility in my own mind for those who are the spectacular faith healers that have the, I'll just name one. I don't have a lot of faith in Benny Hinn. You may not even know who he is, but he has these giant healing crusades. But let me say this, I believe there are some people who are healed at those, but it's not because of Benny Hinn, it's because of Jesus. In the name of the Lord. And so you anoint in the power and in the authority of Jesus Christ. But then I think the second thing that means to anoint in the name of the Lord is in submission to the will of the Lord. Are you following me? In submission to the will of the Lord. And here is the reality, and the totality of Scripture bears this out. Sometimes... Sometimes it is not God's will to bring instantaneous healing. It's just not. It's not God's will. Sometimes it is not God's will to bring healing short of one's promotion to heaven where they receive the eternal healing of Jesus. That's that's just the reality. But those things being said, sometimes it is God's will to bring instantaneous healing. And you will hear in this message uh, today two different stories about prayer and healing. Uh, But as we look into Scripture and we say that sometimes it is not God's will to bring healing, that sometimes he chooses to allow sickness and suffering to reveal the sufficiency of his grace. One of the greatest examples is the Apostle Paul. Look with me into 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going through a U-version devotional series in 2 Corinthians. I highly recommend that letter of the, the New Testament. It is the most autobiographical, of all of Paul's writings. You'll learn more about the Apostle Paul himself from 2 Corinthians than any of his other books and he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul becomes very personal and transparent about his own struggles and his prayers related to those medical, physical struggles. Let me say before I read the passage, Many scholars believe, and, and I agree, that in all likelihood, Paul's thorn in the flesh was an optical disease. Because on one uh, place, he says, you would have given me your eyes if you could have. And at the end of one of his letters, he says, see the large letters with which I signed this. This letter is really from me. I think those are strong clues that his thorn in the flesh, which some say that it was not a physical thing. I believe if it weren't a physical thing, he wouldn't have said in the flesh. And so I believe in all likelihood, Paul had some kind of of eyesight-related optical Disease. So hear his story, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to begin in the middle of verse 7. Paul said, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Now look at this. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Now just stop and think about that statement. This is the great Apostle Paul. This was a man who walked with God. This is a man who had seen Jesus in person on the Damascus Road. This was a man of powerful prayer, and yet he says three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Then verse 9, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now, Paul says, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Now look at this last sentence. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's the reality I think we take away from that. Sometimes the will of God is to reveal his glory by healing us in response to prayer. But sometimes the way that he reveals his glory is to allow others to see him in us in the midst of sickness and suffering. Jesse and Ashley McMillan became friends of ours. Uh, Cindy met this wonderful couple through New Life Ministry that she helped to to lead for 26 years. Uh, Jesse was a pastor in the Cypress area. Uh, His sweet wife, Ashley, is a, a very gifted communicator. Jesse was diagnosed with a brain tumor in the fall of 2015. And last year, Jesse went home to be with the Lord. And throughout their journey of faith and prayer, Ashley had a blog that spoke words of truth and transparency and wisdom. And I want to share just one of the entries in her blog that described their journey. Listen, this is so powerful. She said, keeping hold of hope, even as Jesse's brain and body wasted away, was like this for me. From the first brain scan, from the first time I heard the words brain tumor in a sentence with your husband, to the day Jesse was set free from the shackles of sickness, we chose to seek out life. He and I both knew we would not grow old together. We kept living anyway. We kept hoping anyway. We opted to live like we knew healing was on the horizon, because we knew it was. Earthly healing, listen to this, earthly healing, my friends, is a delay, not a deliverance. We all die even if we experience temporary healing from bodily illness. Jesse was fully healed the day his brain and body ceased to function. Knowing Jesse had limited time helped us open our hands and let the Lord give and the Lord take away without fear of what was coming. What was coming. What has already come for Jesse was heaven. Even now, I cannot find the hopelessness in Jesse's death. Is it hard? Yes, indescribably. Do I ask God what is supposed to be good about being a widow? Yes, sometimes daily. But I will die full of such gratitude. For the life I was allowed to live with Jesse and the life I have with our kids now because of him. And then her last sentence is so profound. Healing comes in different ways. Isn't that a powerful testimony? God's grace, even in the midst of struggle and suffering. But sometimes... God does choose to heal miraculously in this life, and you'll, heal, you'll hear a story of healing in that way in just a moment. I want to conclude with what I believe is James's final statement in this passage, and I want you to to remember that this was a letter that was written. There were, there were no chapter and verse. Uh, divisions in his letter originally. They were added many years later. And so I believe this statement that concludes this passage begins in the middle of verse 15 of James 5 and concludes in the middle of verse 16. So let me read that. He said, And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Jesus taught, he taught his disciples that not all suffering was a result of sin. But he also taught them that sin brings consequences and unforgiven sin brings suffering. And so at the conclusion of this passage, this teaching, on healing and prayer, he says to those who are sick who would seek out anointing and prayer for healing, be sure that there is no sin that you are harboring that you have not repented of to the Lord, that you have not confessed fully to him, and share that with those who come to pray for you so that your sin may be forgiven and you may seek the power of the Lord with a clear conscience I said earlier that sometimes the lord does choose to bring healing and we have a story of that in our life and i'm going to ask Cindy to come and share that story in her own words
1: thank you After much prayer and research, my journey began with a decision to go forward with a total knee replacement in June of 2005. I injured my knee in a fourth grade playground accident, and for the rest of my years, I struggled with pain and mobility, and even had had eight surgeries on that knee. Um, So I went forward with that. Excuse me. The surgery went well. And for those of you who've had a knee replacement, you know there's pain. There's challenging physical therapy, but all was well. Um, In the midst of that, though, I was left with uh, a, a severe nausea that lasted for months. And it rendered me unable to read or write. And if you know me, you know that I always have a plan. And I had a plan, and my plan was to journal everything that the Lord said to me in this journey. I was gonna make this a spiritual journey that I had planned, but he had a plan. And he wanted to teach me some things about what it meant to be still and know him. And that is not one of my strong suits, but he had that plan. And he wanted me to do that without the crutch of reading or writing. You'll understand that in a moment. A few months after that knee replacement, there were some complications, and later I had two more surgeries on that knee. And with each of those, the pain increased and became more and more debilitating. And there was a time then that I feel like I just hit bottom. The, the severe chronic pain was taking a toll on me emotionally and physically, Doctors had no answers, but I could always hear the whispers of God saying to me that he was my answer. Countless numbers of people, including some of you in this room, prayed for my healing. Some came to my home and laid hands on me and prayed for God to relieve my pain and heal me. I read everything I could find in the scripture about healing. I studied healing and even felt, am I qualified for healing? That that was my, my sense. There was so much I wanted to learn during this time, but I still couldn't read and I couldn't journal. And one morning, God revealed to me at this point in my journey that if I journaled, I might manipulate the words and miss what he was trying to teach me and I can do that, I know that. He knows me well. He really wanted to show me how to be still and know him. He had a plan, and so I waited, and I prayed. I cried. The pain consumed my world. There was no comfort. There was no sleep. Everything was hard. I even missed a trip that we had planned to go to the Holy Land with my husband and my dad. And then one Sunday morning, In this very building, I was sitting at the piano, playing during prayer time, and I clearly heard the Lord say to me, are you ready to receive my healing? Well, that question was confusing to me, but I heard clearly what he said, and so I cried out to him, and I asked him to show me what that meant. And over the following weeks, the Lord began to reveal to me that there was a process and a preparation for healing. And so I continued to wait, and I continued to search for God's process. In April of 2006, about 11 months after my initial knee replacement, I'd waited seven weeks for an appointment with the top knee specialist in Houston. And I saw him, and I just knew I was going to get an answer. And at the end of that visit with him, he had no answers. He had no relief for me. And as I walked out of that office, I knew that I heard the say, the Lord say to me, it is me that you need. No one else. It's me that you need. The next month, in 2006, we had planned to go to California for a worship ministry conference. And I just couldn't figure out how I could do that. And I'll tell you that I begged and cried for my husband to let me stay home. I just couldn't imagine traveling that far with so much pain. And I will say that he's a softy when it comes to me. And so usually, he listens to my judgment and my feelings. And often, he gives in, Uh, but it was interesting because he just told me that the tickets were non-refundable and that I needed to go. I wasn't happy about that, but I followed his leadership, and I am so thankful for his sense of the Lord's leading in that decision. We left on a Wednesday morning with Steve and Holly Ray. We went through crowded airports with me in a wheelchair a three-hour flight in that cramped space. And I was a mess by the time we got to Los Angeles. But that night we went to the first session of the worship conference and immediately encountered the presence of the Lord. We had an amazing time of worship and my spirit was truly refreshed. My soul was parched and dry. Earlier that day, in the hotel room, I felt the freedom to write in my journal. I wasn't even sure why I took my journal. This was the first journal entry in 11 months and this is what I wrote. God has not allowed me to journal until now and I do so today with great care. I don't want to twist any truth about lessons learned during this journey to make them more palatable or more dramatic. I stop now to pray that the words that I write here will be from the Lord and not a humanized interpretation of what God is doing in my life. We're good at that. I went on to list some of the things that God had revealed to me, and the very last words that I wrote were these. Help me to not be afraid of healing." Now, I'll say later, as I reread that entry, I did not remember writing those words. I had never verbalized that fear, though I struggled with many issues related to healing. So day two of the conference was long and painful, and I spent the afternoon in the hotel resting and, again, at Ed's urging. Though the pain was severe, I returned that night. We'd been told that we'd be joining in a night of prayer and worship with their Spanish-speaking congregation, so we really didn't know what to expect. Uh, But from the moment we entered the building, again, the presence of God was thick in that room. Even though the chaos was incredible, there were a thousand people trying to find their seats to prepare for worship. The worship time began in Spanish, And we were surrounded by Spanish-speaking people on all sides praising God. Ed often says that Spanish is the language of heaven. And that evening, it truly was. We found ourselves completely given over to worship, and we were singing confidently in Spanish. We felt that night that we were a people of one language. And I can't even tell you how amazing that was. Later, when we talked about it, we all agreed that there were times when we thought we could have spoken fluent Spanish through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, during this part of worship time, the Hispanic man sitting next to Ed leaned over and told him that he had a word from the Lord for him, and this is what he said. The thing that you have been willing to receive but have not truly sought will be given to you soon. How great is our God. He knew the struggles we faced in our faith, and he chose to give encouragement in the midst of those fears. I'm sorry, this is very holy to me. I didn't know that Ed had been given that word until much later that night, because we were so totally at the feet of Jesus in the midst of worship, I was unaware of anything else going around. And eventually the pastor came to the microphone and began to bring the service to a close. He called us to a time of prayer, and the only thing I remember him saying was this, Someone in this room tonight needs healing. And I thought to myself, surely there's more than one someone in this room tonight that needs healing I returned to that sweet time of prayer and at some point realized that Ed and Stephen Holly had surrounded me. I had been sitting during that time and they had their hands on me and they were praying for my healing. And then from that moment, the service ended abruptly. We had been at the feet of Jesus and now it was time to go. Ed left to go get the car, which had been the routine since I couldn't walk far. And as I stood up to walk out of the sanctuary with Stephen Holly, I stood since the spirit say to me clearly, if you walk out with that cane, you will be in disobedience. And so I said it out loud and Steve Ray looked at me and he said, then don't use the cane. Well, that was easy for him to say. And it wasn't until I took several steps to walk out of that sanctuary that I realized that I was pain free. I walked to the car with my cane held high because I didn't want to be in disobedience. We got to the car and Ed was completely confused because he was just sitting in the car. He asked about the cane. I told him what I felt the Spirit say to me and then we sat in silence in that car. The silence was not uncomfortable. The silence was holy. It was a reflection of what we had experienced in worship and it was a sense of awe for an apparent healing. Words could not have worked in that moment. The next morning, after an amazing, pain-free night of sleep, we walked out of the hotel to meet Stephen Holly cane-free. And they were amazed at how freely I was moving. It was an amazing day. Before we left for this conference, we asked Steve and Holly to choose what they would like to do on our off day because they had never been to California, and they wanted to go to Universal Studios. But they feared that it was gonna be too much for me, and I assured them that I could get a wheelchair, I'd be fine. But little did we know that just a few days later, I would walk all over Universal Studios pain-free. We spent over seven hours there. I walked the whole park, I stood in lines, and I rode fast rides, and it was amazing. And honestly, until that afternoon, no one had truly spoken the word healing. We all knew it. We sat down to get a drink, and we all at one point just said, you've been healed. I had been healed. But I need to tell you, how that has affected me. It's both powerful, and as you can hear in my words, it's overwhelming. It has changed who I am. It has changed my perception of God. It has changed my perception of prayer. It has caused the word of God to come alive to me, and it is holy. And I sometimes am not sure what to do with this part of it. I don't share this often. I only share it as God leads, and then it is with great, care because I do not want to miss what God has in this. He has a greater purpose for my healing. It is, ne- it is not about me. It has never been about me. It is all about him. It was not for my comfort. It was all about him. He is the hero of this story. But it is also about this church and many others who need to know that God still heals. It has led me to a search for truth in his word about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how we have fallen short of believing the word. Sometimes that's just because we grew up Baptist. Sorry. During those months of intense pain, I prayed earnestly for healing. But I must admit that though I desperately wanted to be healed, the whole idea of healing was scary to me. I felt unworthy. My problem was a pain and mobility issue in one knee, and there were people around me that had terminal illnesses. Why should I be healed when they had not? And what if God didn't heal me? What would people think? What would people say? You're praying for healing, and you're not healed, so maybe you have unconfessed sin in your life. Or maybe you just are lacking the faith. Well, that's where pride entered in in this whole journey, and that's what the enemy wants to do, to steal that. Eventually, it came down to two questions. Did I believe that God could heal me? Absolutely. Did I believe that God would heal me? No, I didn't. So we're going to go back to the process real quick. God said to me, are you ready? This required that I come to him with a heart check. I prayed Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 over and over. God, please take your highest powered spotlight and shine it into every corner of my heart and show me if there is anything there is that is offensive to you. Every week, our pastor refers to Ch- James chapter 5 when he asks people to come down for prayer speaking to those who are sick and calling for the elders to pray and anoint them. And as you have heard today, that passage goes on to say that we should confess our sin and pray for each other. So first of all, I needed to come with a clean heart. And secondly, I had to be willing to receive it. Willing to receive healing requires the faith to believe. James 5.15 says that a prayer offered in faith will bring healing. So as I explored this process, this is now what I believe about healing. It's a deliberate act of God, an intentional touch from Him. I believe that it happens as a result of persistent prayer, a pursuit of healing through intervening prayer, and a faith that is willing to receive it. But God does not always heal the way we expect or have asked, just as Ed shared with you. But His timing is perfect. I didn't expect to go to California to get healed. In fact, I had people here asking me, why do you think he couldn't have done that here? It's his plan. And finally, there is power in the process. In the process of pursuing healing, we are changed. So the process is important, but most importantly, It is meant to point others to our great and mighty God and to glorify his name. And he may choose to do that through a powerful act for others to see in this world. Or he may bring perfect healing by walking us into heaven. So today, I simply pray that through my healing experience, God will be revealed to you in a new way. My healing was not random I believe that God healed me in such a way that Baptist churches might come to, alive with hope and a, heal, and a God who heals. And we have been fearful of going there for far too long. God is our Jehovah Rapha, our healer. So just as I heard that pastor say that night of my healing, I say this to you. Someone in this room this morning needs healing. Would you take a moment right now to consider where you need healing. Perhaps it's physical. Maybe you're presently struggling with serious illnesses. Perhaps it's not an illness. Perhaps it's, it's emotional healing. It's heart. It's a, it's a damage, a wound in you. An inner healing is needing, and God brings that. And let me just tell you, there is no illness too trivial to bring before the Lord. None. I've heard people say that. There's none. God offers healing. So no matter the kind of healing, will you be ready to receive his healing? Will you yield yourself to the process of confession and repentance of sin in your life? Perhaps even of choices you have made that has contributed to illness in your body or in your mind or your soul. Allow God to work in you through the process of the pursuit of healing. And as you do this, you will see faith rising up just as Elijah had great faith as he watched on the horizon for that little cloud to rise. You will begin to look for the Lord and believe in him as your creator and as your healer. And then be willing to receive whatever he has for you. So I pray that my journey will encourage you to pursue God in a new way through his word and in the power of entering into his presence through the gift of prayer.